Hey, this is Carl Anderson. I'm the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church, and this is our sermons podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message fills your soul with hope, helps you see the beauty of Jesus, and allows you to feel the love that God has for you. If you want more information about experiencing God's love for you personally, head over to sierrabible.org and contact one of our pastors. I love you, and I'm praying for you. Well, good morning, and welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If you are participating with us online, we just want to say we love you, we are with you, we're thankful for you, and we can't wait until the day when we can see you in person gathering with all of us here on Sunday mornings. To those of you who are here, we love you. We're thankful to see you face to face, and we are so thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ that we can gather in his name and exalt him together. It is like breathing for the Christian to be able to gather and exalt the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. We are beginning a new series in the book of 1 John. So if you brought your Bible, please open with me there. 1 John, we're going to be going through chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 this morning. The message of 1 John is simple. It's not a difficult book to unpack what John, your God desires for us to do through the Apostle John, but in living it out can be extraordinary and at sometimes painful and difficult. The message is very simple and clear of the entire book. God loves us, so we should love one another. In the midst of a world that is hostile and divided and full of rage and outrage and hatred, it is the church of Jesus Christ, the people who are loved by God, that gather together in his name and love one another. And that is a witness to the world by the way that we go out of our way to love one another in the church. But I want to start this entire series with a question for you. I want to ask just a simple question that I hope to have answered in two parts at the end of the message. And the simple question is this, what is going to be the result of your faith? Or to ask the question a different, a different way, why are you here this morning? Or for those participating with us online, why are you uh, logged in and participating and joining together with us this morning? What is going to be the result of your faith? Why are you here? Why are we doing what we are doing? Well, the Apostle John answers this question for us in the introduction to his first letter in two particular ways, with two particular results that our faith should manifest. But before we get into those answers, let's begin dedicating this time and this season to God with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you, praising you that we can gather in your name. God, as the world has gone crazy, we throw ourselves upon you and upon your mercy, knowing that you are a God of love, that you have sent your son to be a propitiation, a wrath bearer for our sin. Knowing, God, that you desire for your people to gather and exalt you, 
to give you the glory, to give you the honor, to give you the praise that you are due. And to see that honor, praise, and glory that goes to you manifest itself in love for one another. So God, as we embark over the, the course of these next weeks through this letter of 1 John, God, I ask that you would be with us. I ask that you would be helping us to be the people that you have called us to be in and through your word. How you have described in your word for your people to love one another. God, I pray that that would be true of us. And I pray, God, that your name would be exalted at Sierra Bible Church. And it is in this matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, there's a lot of discussion in academic circles regarding 1 John and who actually wrote 1 John in academic circles over the course of the last 50 to 100 years. Did John, the son of Zebedee, really write the book of 1 John? I'm not going to go into details along those lines, but I do affirm and believe that the author of 1 John is, in fact, the disciple of Jesus, the son of Zebedee, in the gospel. Gospels of, according to uh, many different sources and for many different reasons. And this is important for us to understand, especially as the letter of 1 John opens, because it opens with an eyewitness account. It opens as one who had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ himself. If we're reading the Gospels and we hear of John, the son of Zebedee, when he first met Jesus, Jesus is going around in the northern cities of Israel in Galilee and he is calling out disciples. There's a, a few disciples or there are a few fishermen that are out on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus calls to them and says, hey, follow me. And James, John's brother, and John himself, the, son of, the, the sons of, of Zebedee, who was their father, they leave their fishing boats, and they immediately begin following Jesus. John walks with Jesus for the next three and a half years and sees Jesus perform miracles, sees Jesus preach to crowds of thousands, sees Jesus feed crowds of thousands, sees many defect from him, sees Jesus himself being betrayed, sees Jesus being arrested, sees Jesus being crucified, and even sees Jesus raised from the dead in resurrected glory and has a personal interaction with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus himself. And now the Apostle John wants to pen a letter to Christians. He wants to pen a letter to the churches explaining just exactly what the simple basics of the message of Jesus means for followers of Jesus. He begins in a similar way to the way that he opens up the Gospel of John. He says, that which was from the beginning. This is John's shorthand from saying, that which was from the beginning, that which who was from before the beginning began. This is his shorthand for talking about God, the eternal God who existed before anything else was created. He who was from the beginning, before the beginning, before anything else existed, there was God. That which was from the beginning, the eternal God, that which we have heard, the God who speaks, that which we have seen with our eyes, 
a God who has displayed himself to our senses. That which we have looked upon, the God that we can see and have touched with our hands, the eternal God that has made himself manifest in history. We've seen him with our eyes. We've heard him speak his words. We have even touched him with our hands. That which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. John is is saying to those who need scientific proof for the existence of God, I've seen him with my eyes. I've heard him with my very own ears. I've touched him with my very own hands. This eternal God that has been proclaimed in the scriptures has now made himself manifest, has now revealed himself. I have personally seen him, and I have personally encountered him. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life. This life that he has seen and and touched and, and heard, this wasn't simply for him to have a mystical religious experience and say, oh, God really does exist based upon my own experience. This personal experience that he had wasn't just simply to settle in his own mind, you know what, God really does exist. And now I'm just going to go back and go on with my own life just the way that I desire for my life to continue to move forward however I desire for it to move forward. I know that God exists now. No, John has seen it. Test, has seen it. And because he's seen it and heard it, he testifies to it. And he proclaims to others that which is the word of life the eternal life. The eternal God who created all things has made himself manifest, has revealed himself in history in this person of Jesus that John faithfully followed for three and a half years and has been proclaiming now by the time that he writes 1 John for years and decades. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So why is John proclaiming this message? Why is John opening up this letter to followers of Jesus, proclaiming that he has seen, he has has touched, he has heard of this man, Jesus Christ? Why does he go out of his way to proclaim Jesus to others. That which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim to you. Why does he proclaim to Christians who should have an understanding of who Jesus is, and why does he proclaim that that he has seen and heard and even touched the word of life? Well, he gives two reasons. The first is that when Jesus is proclaimed, when, that, when Jesus is proclaimed, 
it produces immediate fellowship. Look at what he says, verse 3. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So what is the reason that the word of life has been made manifest in Jesus Christ? He would be true in saying that Jesus Christ has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, in the human being, Jesus Christ, in order to seek and to save that which is lost. That would be true. He would be, he would be justified in saying that Jesus Christ has revealed himself so that he might provide forgiveness for sinners, mercy from God. He would be justified in saying that. He might be justified in saying that Jesus Christ has arrived so that he might bring people to heaven and give them glorified bodies. But John cuts through all of that and says the reason that Jesus Christ has come is so that Jesus Christ might be proclaimed and when he is proclaimed and when people believe in Jesus Christ, they have immediate fellowship not only with God through Jesus Christ, but they have immediate fellowship with one another. God has sent his son, has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, not only to save your soul, but to bring you into community, to bring you into a church of Jesus Christ that loves one another and glorifies God and seeks to exalt him with everything that they do. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, we've just uh, finished the holiday season. Many of you have, uh, it was much different this holiday season than other seasons. Christmas, most, for most of us, is known as a special time for families. We gather with loved ones, we exchange gifts with one another, we give expressions of our love, we reaffirm our commitment to one another, we reaffirm our commitment to one another in our Christmas gatherings usually. But isn't it an indication that something is dysfunctional or something is wrong in your family if there isn't a desire to gather? If there isn't a desire to be with your family, usually that's an indication there's something that needs to be worked out or worked through. If there isn't a desire to gather with your family for the holidays. The same is true for the church. Now, yes, during this particular season, we've had to be very creative in our gatherings. We've had to figure out many different ways in which we can gather safely and legally and, and make many different loopholes and jump through many different hoops. We had, to do, we had to go the extra mile in so many different ways just so that we can gather together as a church. But make no mistake, brothers and sisters, in the heart of every believer who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ is a longing for fellowship a longing for, to be with the people of God. God has 
wired us spiritually in such a way that when we are saved, we, we are not just saved to go be with the Father in heaven forever immediately. We are saved immediately into his body, the church of Jesus Christ. So because of that, there should be this longing within us to meet with his body, the church, here on earth. So let's put some application points on this regarding what it means to be a person, a believer in fellowship with God and with one another. So what does it mean for us? Well, I think there's two application points from this. I think that believers in Jesus Christ, if we are genuinely desiring to be in immediate fellowship with God and with one another, we should probably make no excuses for a long-term commitment to fellowship with a local church. Now, I know that there's tons of excuses out there. Well, you know, the pastor kind of, he's kind of boring up there. His jokes really don't land on me. Watch it, Kronk. <laughs> the music is this, or the music is that, or the people just aren't really like me in a, in a number of different ways. Within the people of God, there is a longing for fellowship with one another that says, this is my spiritual family who God has called me to be a part of. So I want to challenge you to make a no-excuses, long-term commitment to fellowship with a local church. If you're more interested in, in our church, Sierra Bible Church, uh, we have the Next Steps classes coming up at the end of January. Make sure you sign up for those to become a member, a, a fellowship, committed fellowship member along with us. Secondly, don't look for fellowship, build it. Many people struggle to find a local church because they're just looking for the perfect church. Well, you know the saying about the perfect church, right? Don't go to the perfect church because once you go there, you'll ruin it. Don't go looking for fellowship. Wherever God has called you, begin building fellowship. Begin building the relationships that God has already put before you as believers in Christ. John didn't meet Jesus, see the resurrected Christ, and then just go back to his Galilean fishermen with a personal experience and say, well, you guys are all like me. No, he went out building fellowship wherever God had called him. And likewise, if God has called you to be a part of a member of Sierra Bible Church, don't focus on what we don't have. Begin building what God has called you to build here. If you see an area of need, man, this church doesn't do X, Y, or Z. Maybe that is a calling from God for you to begin building X, Y, or Z here in the church. Don't look for fellowship. Begin building it right where you are at. If this is true of us, if we are called by God into fellowship with God and with one another, uh, it, that's not the only result that it's going to produce. It's going to produce these immediate results of fellowship, but it's also going to produce an eternal result that's going to last forever, that makes all of the struggle, all of the trial worth it. And it's found here in verse 4. John says this, We're writing these things, we're penning this letter 
We've described to you that this word of life has made, been made manifest to us. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. God has wired it, has, has designed the world in such a way that when Jesus is proclaimed, when he's written about and testified to, when his church is gathering to exalt him and proclaim him and study his word, when Jesus is proclaimed and it's responded to with faith, it results in eternal joy. Eternal joy. God in the scriptures never rebukes his people for expressing their eternal joy in him above all other things. He warns people not to take joy in things that are temporary, but to take joy in that which is eternal, namely Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected for glory. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels according to, uh, along these regards is when Jesus is riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. We know it as the triumphal entry. Many of you know the story. He's riding into Jerusalem and the entire city is going absolutely bananas. They're saying, blessed is the son of David. Hosanna is he to he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. The Savior is arriving. It, they are throwing down their cloaks. It is going absolutely bonkers in Jerusalem as Jesus rides in on a donkey. And the religious establishment, the Pharisees, they look to Jesus they see all of the people going absolutely crazy over the Messiah arriving, over Jesus arriving into Jerusalem. They say to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus, I just imagine him with just a steel face staring directly into the souls of these hard-hearted Pharisees looking directly at them. I imagine him looking directly at him, and then I know, because Luke records it, he, he says to the Pharisees, if I tell them to shut up, these very stones would cry out. You and I were designed for joy in your Messiah. You and I are saved not just for fellowship and gathering with one another, not just for fellowship with God and one another, but we were designed for full and complete joy in the presence of God forever. David understood this. King David writes in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, for in your presence are pleasures forevermore. Wherever the presence of God is in Christ, the people of God rejoice. It is our birthright as his children to express spontaneous, overflowing joy that the word of life has been made manifest, the word of life has died for our sins, the, the word of life has brought us into fellowship with one another, and the word of life has brought us into fellowship with God forever. 
Some of us don't have these two results that are produced by faith in Jesus Christ. Some of us don't have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Some of us don't have an eternal joy within our soul that comes from the overflow of our relationship with God. Well, today can be the day that you experience these two, one immediate and one eternal result of coming into a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, as I'm explaining these things to you and and they sound like something that you do not have, come speak with me after the service. If you are online participating, send an email to carl, K-A-R-L, at sierrabible.org and we can tell you and help you take the first steps of faith in order to become a follower of Jesus Christ, be brought into fellowship with God and one another and experience eternal joy. And that is my prayer for you and for all of us here this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have given us life eternal, eternal joy in knowing you and exalting you. Help us, O God, to make no excuses, but to make a long-term commitment to your people because you, Lord Jesus, have made an eternal commitment to us. Help us, O God, to walk with you faithfully, to know you deeply, and to express our full, complete joy in knowing you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing yourself to us in Christ and for giving us what we, 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 we needed all along and we've searched for in a, whole, in a number of different places. God, bring us into fellowship with you and with one another that endures through all seasons of life and allow us to experience the fullness of your joy forever and ever. Amen.